You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. This is a sermon from our series, A Better Way. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Before you sit, no, before you sit, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen, 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 amen. Wow, this is mighty. This is mighty. This is mighty. I'm, I'm going to preach in a moment, but I'm just full. I am full. His amazing grace. This is what the heavenly church is going to look like. So why not practice it now? Amen. Why not practice it now? Um, one of the things I'm challenging whites, blacks, we got to be willing to fellowship with people who don't sing like us, vote like us, look like us. Because that's what's going to happen when we get to heaven. And it's so easy to stay in our comfort zones. This is what this is all about, coming out of our comfort zones. And if we all have been washed by the blood of Jesus, we're all in one family and God is our Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm honored. I want to thank God for Bill. I want to thank God for Community Bible Church. And I want to thank God for the members of Beulah who have embraced the gospel. The gospel is for all ethnicities, amen? amen? And believe it or not, every church doesn't want this. Okay, I'm going to say that again. <laughs> believe it or not, every church doesn't want this. But I'm grateful that Beulah and Community Bible Church wants this, and we are pleasing our God this morning. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> amen. Amen. Not to pull on. Now, now, listen, I'm preaching out of the New King James. Don't stone me. <laughs> Amen. I know y'all ESV, but uh, open up the Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Yeah. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. You may be seated. Very familiar text, but I believe, I believe the Lord want to speak afresh in our hearts this morning. Luke, chapter 15. We're going to read 17 verses to get the whole context of what's going on here. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained. Here are the sinners that are coming to Jesus. And yet, the Pharisees and scribes are complaining. Believe it or not, it's people like that in the church. Man has been strung out on alcohol. Woman has been living in life in the streets. Now the man and woman wants to come to Jesus, and the people in the church begin to toot their nose up. Can I get a witness? Uh, and realizing that the only thing difference between them and us is the grace of God that we've accepted. Amen. Let me go ahead and push it right now. Some of us are so snooty, we walk with our heads like this. If it rains, we'll drown. <laughs> this man receives sinners and eats with them. Thank God that Jesus meets with sinners. So he spoke this parable to them saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. 
and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. He finds a sheep, and he comes back, and he's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, guess what, y'all, guess what? I found my sheep that was lost. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Sounds like my wife every Saturday morning. <laughs> and when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, what? Rejoice with me. There is gladness when you find something that's lost. Amen. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The young of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods, the husk that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, but when he came to himself, but when he came to him, sometimes you gotta just come to yourself. Can I go in and say this in the most political, correct way I can? You can't be stuck on stupid all your life. Sometimes you got to just come to yourself. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's highest servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your endless word. Father, I'm your man for this moment. Holy Spirit of God, fill me afresh. Lord Jesus, you be glorified, but allow us to be edified. These and all blessings we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've read a very familiar text, and I want you to just stay focused with me for a moment because I want to use for a topic this morning, the turning point, the turning point. In all of our lives, there must come a time that we experience a turning point. Let me tell you what a turning point is. A turning point is a time at which a decisive change in a situation occurs, especially one with beneficial results. That's a turning point. A time at which a decisive change. That means it was thought through. It's not just something that happened. You thought this thing through. You said, you know what? I got to do something different in my life. This is what we see with this first prodigal boy. But I want to just tell of a story of a very, very close person that I know. In 1994, this man's life was down spiraling fast. He was a drunkard, he was an adulterer, he was a gambler. 
His wife had put up with this type of living for many years, and finally she got to the point where she said, enough is enough. I'm leaving. And sure enough, she packed her bags, and she went, I hate to say this, to Philadelphia. <laughs> Wildly. Bill is from the Philadelphia area. And she's going back to Philadelphia. And he tells the story that this night, he sits in his 1969 Chevy pickup, and he begins to cry like a baby. He said, the only thing that meant anything to him was his family, and now he was losing that. But guess what? That began the turning point in his life. That man I'm speaking of is my big brother, my, my oldest brother, who's saved now by the grace of God and pastor in the church. Isn't that a blessing? And God used his life tremendously in my family that myself and my wife, by God's grace, is saved now because we saw the light of Jesus through his life. But there came a time he had to experience a turning point. In our text, there's a time this young brother had to experience a turning point. I want to let you know my brother and this young brother, didn't, they're not the only ones that need a turning point. We all need a turning point. There's a gravitational pull that pulls us away from God. In case you haven't read it, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all are like sheep have what? Gone astray. And we have turned every one of us to our own way, and we all need a turning point. Okay, some of you don't think so. Let me put Proverbs 14 and 12. There is a way. Some of you think you're going down the right road right now. There is a way that seemeth, that appears to be right. But the end thereof is the way of death. You got to take the exit off of R623 for the wage of the sin is death and get on J316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son. There must be a turning point in our lives. We all need a turning point no matter how good you've been raised, no matter your Ivy League background, no matter the money that you're making on the job, if you've not been washed by the blood of Jesus, if you're not born from on high, you need a You need a turning point. And there's only one that can provide it, and his name is Jesus, as we're going to see in our parable today. There are, three, there are three items or three things that are unique in this parable, but they all have one common denominator. There was a sheep that was lost, far away from the sheepfold. There was a silver that was lost right there in the house, and there were two boys that were lost. You could be far and lost. That's the sheep was weighed out there, far and lost. Or you could be near and lost, but the last time I checked, if you're lost, you're lost. You're lost. 
There was a sheep that was far and lost. There was a silver that was near and lost. There were two sons. One was far and lost, but there was one right there in the house that was lost. Let me go ahead and put this. This is a good tweet. Just to, uh, you can put this on Twitter. People don't go to hell just from the bar stool. They go from a comfortable seat, like right here in Community Bible Church as well. Okay, I can't get no amens on that. Because many times we fool ourselves that only the people out there go to hell know there's good people who come to church every week but do not bow their hearts to Jesus Christ. And you could be far out there and lost or you could be up close in the church and still be lost. There's a story that is told about it it pays not to be lost. There's a story of a young boy. He was standing in front of y'all. You know, kids don't do this too much anymore. And he was playing catch with himself. He was throwing up his ball. Throwing up his ball. And a gentleman pulled up and he said, hey, little boy, can you tell me where Highway 1 is? Nope. He said, okay. Can you tell me where Straight Street is? I heard if I find Straight Street, it'll lead me to Highway 1. Nope. Little boy, can you tell me where a gas station is? If I find a gas station, they'll tell me where Straight Street or Highway 1 is. Nope. See, I got one more question for you, little boy. Do you know anything? He said, yeah. I know I'm not the one that's lost. <laughs> How many know it's a blessing to know that you're not lost? How many truly know the amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rest like me? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. In this parable that we're going to unmask briefly, it does cost to be lost. You got to know today that Jesus Christ, he comes to seek and to save that which was lost. As we look at this younger brother's life, number one, he lived a life of selfishness. Get this now, we read our text. Here is this young boy, he comes to his dad, and this is what he, can I, can I just give a 2018 Anthony Lee Edwards translation? He comes to his dad, and this is what he said, Dad, you're not dying fast enough. Why don't you just kick the bucket? You're supposed to wait till your parents die, go to the lawyer's office, hear the will read, and then get mad. Amen. All that I done did, and this is all they left me, old dumb set of golf clubs. But, but number one, this young boy lived a life of selfishness. He comes to his dad, he said, give me mine inheritance. Could not wait for the old man to just pass on, and then he finds out what he had, but he wanted it now. Can I tell you, that's the way the church and the world is right now. We just full of selfishness. Now, back before I got saved, there was a rap song called, It's Just Me, Myself, and I. It's just me, myself, and I. Those, tri- those triplets, that's what it's all about now. If it's not the way I want it, if it's not the way um, I can have it, then I don't want it. This boy lived a life of selfishness. We got to get rid of selfishness. But not only did he live a life of selfishness, he lived a life of 
carelessness. Amen? Amen? What do I mean? His father gives him his inheritance, and he goes out there in the far country. Listen, I don't know if he went to the first Jerusalem tabernacle or tavern and bought rounds for everybody. I don't know if he went, uh, you know, you know, to the, to the, the house y'all know where the ladies stay, you know. <laughs> Rated G. I, I mean, we don't know. He lived a life of selfishness, but he also lived a life of carelessness. He took all that his father had given him, and he went out there and he just blew it. Since we're here, let's talk. How are you living careless? What has God given you time, treasures, talents? And every day we're living carelessly, not using them for the glory of Jesus. I put that all on the squeak just now. How, how many of us are living selfish, full of selfishness? How many of us living in carelessness, like this boy that goes out there, all that the father that worked hard to give him, he just goes out there and blows it just like that. But not only did he live a life of selfishness and a life of carelessness, but he found out he began to live a life of emptiness. We think this world will satisfy us. The world is not Snickers. It can never satisfy you. He found out in a hard way, and many of us have found out in a hard way, this world would never be able to satisfy us. He was empty. He was empty. How many of you just empty? You know, back in 1996, October to be exact, I was driving good, living good, smelling good. But the only problem was Jesus said, you're no good. Okay, let me come over this side. <laughs> driving good. At the age of 19, I had a 1988 Jeep Cherokee. Wood grain, Wagoneer, driving good, looking good, can't you tell? <laughs> Smelling good, nice cologne that my girlfriend, my wife at the time probably bought me because I know I didn't buy it. But the only problem was I was no good. No matter how much I had hyped myself up and all those around me had hyped me up, according to Jesus' standards, I was worthless. But most importantly, I was empty. Going out there to the stag shop, buying a, a Coogee sweater, buying Tommy, buying Polo, buying all this stuff. And once I get the receipt, I still was empty. But it was only until the love of Jesus filled my soul that that emptiness became full because I had a turning point in my life. Three quick things I want us to see. What does it take? to have a turning point. Number one, it takes a time to realize. Look at our text here. A time to realize. What am I talking about? Here is Jesus dealing with these, these three items. He's dealing with a lost sheep. He's dealing with a lost silver. He's dealing with uh, two lost sons. And now Jesus is going to let them know you could be far and lost or you could be near and lost. This young man has gotten all of his inheritance he was tired of being at home. He goes out into the far country, and there the time he bumps his head, that's what we call it. He bumps his head, and he realized, man, life ain't all what I thought it would crack up to be. 
I thought by me having all this material stuff, I thought that, you know, life would be, you know, I thought I'd be flying on high, but I realized it hasn't satisfied me the way I thought it would be. So now he gets to a point, let's look at our text here, Luke 15, verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields, he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws, the husk, that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Number one, a time to realize. What am I talking about? If there's going to be a turning point in any of our lives, there must be a time to realize. There must be a time where we have that moment that we can come to ourselves and make a decisive decision. I got to turn away from the way I'm living. There must be. What, what it was for this boy? He found himself in a pig pen. Say providence. We frown at God's providence, but thank God that God's providence protected him. There came a time God cut off all resources. We get mad when God put us up against the wall. We get mad when God, God Jesus, puts us right where we need to be because he's given us a time to realize you can't be stuck on stupid all your life. Here's this Jewish boy in a pig pen. How many know that don't go together? But this is, what, this is what I want to see. There is no telling how low we can go when we are away from our Father. Okay, I'm going to say that again. There is no telling how low we will go when we are away from the... This boy would have never imagined he would find himself in a hall pen. But in that hall pen, hall pen, that pig pen by God's providence, he had a time to realize. Let me tell you what he realized. He realized how good his daddy was. Or his, I mean, he said, my, my, my daddy has all these higher servants. Let me talk to somebody who don't know how good God is. He woke you up this morning. He gave you a car to drive to church. He gave you a nice house to live in. How many know God is a good God? Can I push it? Uh, in case you don't know that God is a God that loves the unlovable. He's faithful to us when we are not faithful to ourselves. And it's time for us to come to understand that God is a good God. Yes, he is. Well, I'll praise him all by myself because God is a good God. Number one, a time to realize, good boy, realize how good my daddy is. But number two, it's one thing to remember how good your daddy is, but number two, he realized how guilty he was. Oh, see, some of y'all missed that. Don't take that lightly because everyone is not willing to see how guilty they are. Amen. Amen. Some people think, you know, you know, they never, you know, mess up. They never, no, no, no. Number one, he realized how good God is. Here in the text, verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws, the husk that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's highest servants 
have bread enough to spare, and I will perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have what? Sin. I have sinned against heaven and before you. It's one thing to know how good your God is, your daddy is, and it's another thing to realize how guilty you are. Matter of fact, we don't really appreciate how good God is until we see ourselves for the sin sick sinners that we really are. That's why when Amazing Grace can be sung like that, tears can flow down my eyes because I realize, God, I'm only saved because of your grace. I had a debt that I could not pay, and you paid a debt that you did not owe. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The son had the time to realize how good his father was. He served a loving God. We serve a merciful God. We serve a faithful God. And we serve a gracious God. The son had the time to realize how guilty he was. He acknowledged his sin. Everyone is not willing to acknowledge their sin. But not only had a time to realize, but number two, he had a time to repent. He had a time to repent. If there's going to be a turning point, we got to realize where we are. He was standing in a hall pit. Unfortunately, the turning point for some people is in a jail cell. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me go to Maryland. Unfortunately for some people, it's in a drug rehab. Okay. For some people, it's in a divorce court. For some people, it's an unemployment line. But better late than never. Better late than never. There was a time to realize, but now there's a time to repent. Here in our text, listen at verse 18 again, Luke 15. I will arise and go to my father. I will arise and go to my Father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. There's a time to realize, but then there's a time to repent. Notice, while he was in the hall pen, he began to rehearse what he would say to his dad. But not only did he say it, he put action to it. Because many of us are good at diagnosing our drama. Okay. Many of us are good at diagnosing our drama. Yeah, I done did something stupid again. But, but we never change from the stupid things that we're doing. No, this young boy said it and he put legs to it. He got up out of the, the word repent means to have a change of mind. You can't be one, you can't desire to go up north and on 95 South. And, and, and then you start to see signs that say Florida. And you're just admiring the signs. Oh yeah, I see, I see head to Florida. I mean, no, there's something you have to do. You can't be fascinated by the cars that are going 95 North. Ooh, look at them going 95 North. No, there's something you, you have to change your mind. You have to get off the exit. You have to go across and get on the right way. Can I get a witness there? 
That's what repentance is. Let me go in and push it right now while I got you. Repentance is more than being remorseful. Repentance is more than being regretful. Okay, let me just, you know, me and my wife were dating and I was out there, you know, trying to play the field. Amen. And I would get caught. But it, there was no repentance, there was regret. Let me tell you what the regret was. I should have went to the other motel. Well, y'all not following me. Because soon as I got out of her presence, I was going to do it again. Amen. See, it's more than just being remorseful. It's more than just being regretful. Repentance is about having a change of mind. You can say you repented all you want, but if you're doing the same thing, you have not repented. David, that psalmist, David, that soldier, David, that shepherd, hot-blooded in his passion. Okay. He comes out. He looks down. Bathsheba, 32, 24, 36. <laughs> David tried to go take a shot to get Bathsheba out of his mind. He couldn't, he couldn't get it. And he goes down and he says, who is that fox? Right? See, y'all got to, who's that chick? You know, in apartment B. <laughs> They say, hey, that Uriah the Hittite's wife, David, she is off limits. She's married. Hot-blooded in his passion. David would not stop. He pursued her, took her, lied with her, impregnated her, and now he wants, what's worse than the crime? The cover-up. The cover-up. David thought he could cover up his mess, just like many of us. We've learned a lot from our earthly father, Adam. We always trying to cover up our mess. Instead, he just confessing it to Jesus, right? David was hot-blooded in his passion, but then there came a time when all of his trickery couldn't work, didn't work. He was hot-blooded, cold-blooded as an assassin. He gives Uriah his own death sentence in his hand, sends him out there, and he's killed. I'm still talking about time to repent. David went on for about a year just living his life like we do, like as if God doesn't know, Jesus doesn't know what we've done. We tried to bury it. We tried to hide it. And Jesus said, peek-a-boo. <laughs> I see that. I got it right there. I know you did it. And about a year has went by. Everybody needs a Nathan. Everybody needs somebody in their life that's not so caught up with them, so impressed with you that they are not willing to get in your face and say you're wrong. And many a time we talk about we want friends. We don't want friends. We want flunkies. Okay. We just want people around us that will say what we want them to say or we want to hear. But Nathan, I'm coming in. Nathan says, after he gives the parable about the one little ewe lamb and all that, it's amazing. David jumps up and said, that man should be put to death. That man should restore fourfold. And Nathan says, buddy, you the man. 
This is where Psalm 51 came. David repented against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil. David went to God and cried out in repentance. And that was the turning point in David's life. We see a time to realize, we see a time to repent, but now we see a time of restoration. Once there's a turning point, God wants to restore. How many know that's what salvation is all about? God restoring his humanity back to himself. That's when we look at the cross, that's all. It is about restoring, restoration, bringing back to where it once was. Here in our text, as we conclude, verse 22, excuse me, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have what? Sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive and again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and he as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Number one, a time to realize. Number two, a time to repent. But number three, a time of restoration. I can imagine when that boy packed up his bag, got his little suitcases that day, sick of home, sick of home, sick of home. Tired of daddy telling me to do this. I just want to go out there and live my life. <laughs> Teenagers, I just want to live my life. Got his little duffel bags and pulling them away. And I could just imagine, you know, like a loving father. You know, you know moms and dads, we, we, we respond different. That dad's on the inside is concerned. You know, mom is just walking the floor. You know, dad is just concerned, just as much concerned. We just express them in a different ways. I could imagine sitting on that porch, many days praying, wondering, is my boy alive or dead? Is he alive or dead? Haven't gotten an email from him. He hadn't texted me. What's going on with my boy? Now just imagine in a rocking chair, just rocking back and forth. And one day, scripture doesn't tell how long he's been out there in that far country, but one day, I just like to picture like a good old country scene, you know, a good old, you know, out there in a the rural area, <laughs> an old dusty road. And the father could see some dust, you know, just flying up. And he looks. That boy walked like Junebug. <laughs> that might be my boy. And as he gets closer and closer, the dad does something. See, this is when you read scripture, he gets up and runs to him. He goes to him. Isn't that just like our Heavenly Father? He meets us in our mess. Amen. And before the son could get one word out of his mouth, the dad has jumped on him. Put that big old sloppy kiss, mm, <laughs> that old sloppy kiss on his cheek. 
and he's rejoicing. My boy that I thought was dead is alive. Who was lost is now found. That's restoration. Cornelia, they're now intimate again. Have you had your turning point? Have you been restored to Jesus? But now, I want us to see this real quick, and I'm through. When that sheep came back to the sheepfold, there was rejoicing. When that woman found her silver, she called her friends and said, what? Rejoice with me. This boy has come back. The daddy said, go get the fatted calf, get him some shoes, put a roll, put, put a ring on it. Put a ring on his finger. Everybody's excited. This is the only time in the story. Instead, we find rejoicing, we find rage. The older boy. And we got church people like that. We done been here building this church, and now we just gonna let these, who, these Johnny come, ladies come in here. Amen. He is mad that his brother has come back home. He pulls up, he hears all, all the music, he hears the eyes of the brothers playing in the house, and he's just, I mean, well, what's going on? Your brother, your brother who was lost is now found. The younger boy had a turning point. The older brother didn't. Can I tell you three? And I'm done. You know why? You know why? He didn't have a turning point. Number one, stubbornness. You will never have a turning point when you're stubborn. They are in the house rejoicing. Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive, and again he was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, so he answered and said to his father, the father came out to him just like he came out to the younger brother. God is a gracious God to all. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have what? Been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment, and at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots you killed the fatted calf for him and he said to him son you are always with me and all that i have is yours it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found number one stubbornness he was stubborn he will not receive the grace that the father was trying to give him number two selfishness Notice he made everything about him. When you make life about you, you will never have a turning point. And number three, self-righteousness. I've done all this stuff. I've done, I've done, I've done, I've done, I've done, I've done. You ain't done nothing. Whatever we're able to do is by the grace of God. That God will even allow us to do it. Amen? 
I would like to say this. I thank God. I thank the Lord Jesus for not being like some places in Savannah. You say, what do you mean by that? There are some places in Savannah you want to turn around. But what does it say? No U-turn. And you have to go out of your way more and more. But God says, right here, right now, I got to sign up. If you want to turn around, this is your turning point. You could turn around right now. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Let's be like the younger boy. Let's not be like the older boy. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Father, I pray all over this place, whatever it takes, Lord, you're providential. And Lord, if you've led us here for this moment, that some man, some woman who you know needs a turning point, Father, thank you that by your grace they will turn today. Glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.